Oh, you legend. Thanks for downloading and taking the time to listen to this show. This is the Big Feed Up HQ podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gardner, and I'm a nutritional therapist by trade. And this podcast focuses on nutrition, movement, outdoor experiences, and I have a hundred episodes more than 100 episodes so far so get in choose some of the titles see what resonates with you and listen we're supported by 33 fuel who produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products and you can gain 10 percent off your first order with matt 10 at checkout the link to 33 fuels websites in the show notes and when you delve in you'll find the products are split into four sections before sport, their prepare section. During sport, their energy and hydration section. After sport, protein and recovery. And foundation, their health section. Jumping into the foundation section, you'll find their ultimate daily greens made up of wheatgrass, pea protein, cinnamon, barley grass, corella, spinach, spirulina, kale and broccoli. During sport, you'll find their chia seed energy gel made up of chia seeds, palm sugar, vanilla and Himalayan pink sea salt. And after sport, you'll find their protein powder made up of pea protein, coconut sugar, raw cacao, banana, rice protein and sunflower protein. So if you get a hold of some of these products, lovely people, and have a go, then I hope you find something useful. I like their greens powder. I also like their protein bars. It's all good stuff. It's all natural. Enjoy. Now, today... I have a chap who is passionate about seafood on the show. Slightly a bit of a curveball if you're used to nutrition and exercise and outdoor activity kind of shows. But Mike Warner is he's brilliant. He's someone that I've been following on Instagram for years. He started a blog about six years ago all around fish. Okay, so we're going to go deep on this one. Lovely people. I hope you enjoy it. He has so much experience, knowledge and he's just so focused on just getting everyone that he meets to just learn a bit more about fish, where it comes from. So I'll stop rambling on and let me introduce you to Mike. Mike Warner, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Matt. No, it's brilliant to have you on. I think before we launch into things, mate, you must have early starts. So what do you do? Do you drink a bucket of coffee? Do you get up and go? How how do you get out to some of these five six a.m. starts or or even earlier that you usually do out by the sea? Yeah, I mean I'm, that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm a bit of an early bird anyway, so it's not um it's not too bad for me. I don't drink coffee anymore. I used to used to drink my own body weight in coffee, but that's uh, <laughs> I'm now a tea I'm now solely a tea man. Um, so uh, yeah, it's about a gallon of tea. Um, but depending on what the what the morning is, it's uh, it's either at two o'clock, um, two o'clock or three o'clock. Um, get up and then um, and then load up and I like to try and be in London by six half past five six if I can brilliant brilliant so mate can we set the scene a little bit you've um you know obviously we know each other we've chatted a bit offline and things but for people that are new to you um it'd be good to get a bit of a background so obviously you, you've spent a lot of years in, in agriculture you've always been yeah, passionate right. about fish grew, grew up by the by the sea in, in Felixstowe not too far from from obviously where I grew up and things like that too um you started writing more recently a, a, about fish and seafood and obviously it snowballed into a consultancy business and and all the rest so yeah it'd be brilliant to maybe just get, give us a bit of background in yourself and then we'll dovetail into a few topics I mean, yeah, I, I suppose I've always been a bit of a foodie. That's the, that's the thing. And um, growing up in Felixstowe uh, as a boy, it was I had two passions, which was which was fishing, you know, seafood side of it, which my father was was right into, 
and farming, which I was I was sort of naturally drawn towards. So these two sort of paths, um, you know, ran with me through my growing up. And and when I got to, to leaving school, I had a decision whether to you know to go to sea or go on the land. Really, and my parents sort of steered me towards going on the land. So which is fine, you know. And I, I went to agricultural college and uh, and then went into farm management. I spent thirty years in that, but and it was very happy. You know, lovely. Um, Lovely existence, great career. Um, ended up in, in sort of consultancy, and um, you know, but it, there's the call of the sea in the background the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And um, I just got to the point where I needed to refresh, um, needed a bit more of a an impetus in life. And um, I suppose, yeah, it's the, going back to the seafood element, always run through my life. You know, I'd always cooked and eat, eaten seafood. Um, every holiday we went on, you know, was usually to a to a coastal venue within spitting distance of a fish market, um, and so and so really the whole thing developed into the to the to the um, to the point where I thought to myself, you know, something's got to be done. Uh, I need to um, I need to find that extra that extra direction. And encouraged by my wife Nicola, um, I started to write about seafood and my experiences growing up by the sea and working with fishermen, and and then suddenly that. That sort of developed in itself. More people wanted to know about what I was writing. Started writing for magazines, as well as my blog, and then that in turn led to a, a consultancy um, business, advising um, the media, hospitality, um, education, if you like, on sustainable seafood, British seafood, how it's caught, seasonality, where it's come from, um, and and how to get the best out of it. Really, mm, that's interesting. I think obviously it's, it's something that you like you said you had a calling to do and you put pen to paper so to speak and started the blog and, and it was something that obviously you're passionate about and you and you were driven to get on with but do you think obviously initially when people started reading what you're doing and you started working with businesses and obviously heading down to local fisheries and things like that um you know a, a lot of general public and things get decision fatigue around fish and and you saw a bit of a bit of a gap there is that something you think obviously is part of it too yeah, because we, I mean, in this, in this, in well, in this country, in the UK, we we have this disconnect with the, well, with food production generally. It's not so bad with farming now. I mean, there's a lot of, um, lot of knowledge, lot more knowledge there in terms of um, of how, you know, uh, agricultural produce is uh, is farmed and produced. But with sea, with the sea fish and um, and the, the commercial fisheries, that's not the case. There's this disconnect there. Uh, and I did, I sort of saw a niche to to actually try and connect the fishermen to the consumer via storytelling, um, but also to, to mainly portray an accuracy of information about the industry, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and the general public just, you know, we 70 to 80% of what we actually consume in the UK is imported, is imported commoditized seafood. Um, and yet we have these wonderful waters surrounding our, our island nations, um, which, which support some of the most fascinating and, and sustainable fisheries in the Northern Hemisphere, but 80% of what we actually catch, we export. So, you know, it's what we call the Great British Seafood Paradox, um, and trying to get the UK consumer converted to shift that paradigm to, to eating more home-produced fish and to focusing on the domestic market is, is a really difficult thing to do, especially when processors um, and, and retailers are geared up to those imported commodities, but it's working. And, and bizarrely, in the last three months since lockdown, we've we've seen that paradigm start, suddenly start to shift because people have been more dependent on their local retail, their local fishmongers, 
And of course, because of the lack of imports, we've now had to go to our own fishermen and look look for supply because restaurants have, have closed and furloughed their staff. Um, consumers can now have access to restaurant quality, restaurant grade British fish and shellfish, which they've not had before. So we've, we've found shoppers um, now who would normally buy perhaps something like um, imported Maine lobster or farmed Greek sea bass, Mediterranean sea bass. They're now asking for native lobster and they're asking for wild UK bass, which is fantastic. And of course, there is a premium, premium attached to that. Um, but the quality is so much better, and that's what they're starting to starting to appreciate. Excellent, and it's you know it's it's fantastic that you've kind of come out and you champion this because obviously I can I can leave details in the show notes people can read into a lot of what of you're course. doing, and hopefully we can reduce that decision fatigue. Because I think if we if we just circle back a little bit to what you said at the start, you know, from that food production point of view and um, and agriculture, you know, we've we've people have probably heard of the red tractors of the world, you know, starting exactly. to do more on land. And and then I think, like you said, there has there's there's that lag I think in in general public and similar to myself, you know, I, I earn a living by um, supporting people, reducing their decision fatigue about about their own you know nutrition and habits, and then trying to um, you know give them a lot of of recommendations around trying to eat well, eat naturally, eat local. Um, and if yes. I'm honest, you know, I'm 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 always kind of looking over to there's an app called Good Fish Guide that I'll look at sometimes, but really I've 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 got a, a large library of resources around everything on land and obviously with with plant-based movement and things like that over the last few years becoming you know absolutely massive um you know we've got more and more resources there whereas i think like you said when you put two feet in water the average person will be like actually you know outside of salmon haddock cod prawns tuna um you know even if that you know if if the if we're eating all those five would be cracking if i met people that ate all those five don't get me wrong you know there's Um, there's always going to be a place for that yeah Um, but anything further than that it was interesting i I listened to you know i did a bit of research on you and and listened to a chat you were having on on your website and things and and i found the 1970 i know we're kind of going deep into a rabbit hole here but that 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 herring ban in the 1970s and how that's had a bit of a knock-on effect and obviously you know people of a bit of an older generation if i can use that term listening to the show We'll, we'll probably remember that whereas you know the the the, the younger generation my generation you know we we have no clue about these kind of you know bands really do we so so that's interesting from from that specific fish side of things obviously people stopped eating it then is that correct and then it hasn't really caught Our up generation missed out suddenly you know a herring was one of the main protein staples of the nation you know um, back in the in the early 1900s when the herring fisheries were at their height of production um nearly i think nearly 15,000 fishermen were actively involved in the harvesting of, of the herring. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it was massively overfished, um, mainly after the war with the advent of, of new technology, new catch, uh, new uh, monofilament nets, um, and, um, and with the advent of diesel engines as opposed to steam drifters. So you, you had this sort of um, shift in production, which unfortunately for the herring itself um, meant that you know uh, it got to the stage where catches dwindled and um, something had to be done to preserve the stocks, which is why the ban came in. But of course, you know, compared to our, our near neighbours, our continental neighbours, the, the Dutch, the Scandinavians, who still eat a lot of herring, mm. um, we never we never got that back. You know, we never um, returned to the to, to that particular um, protein source. Mm. So we move, you know, some of the actionables you've been that you've been working on in the last few years. Obviously, you've been you've been taking actually directly even some chefs and things, you know, people that are 
buying and cooking this food sorry the fish for a living and then getting them out to people you're getting them obviously to come out with you on 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 trawlers or at least come and see what what's been caught and and things that you know in cornwall in suffolk in places that you work is that is that where you you move things on so obviously you, you you built this resource people can read learn you know that's brilliant we can sit at home and understand yeah. that but then obviously um for people to start eating more of this stuff you know you need to get to get those restaurateurs on board yeah. so is that uh, you know obviously it's in going ongoing but how, how's that been you know were, were people ready to kind of engage with you for that when they started seeing quality of product how did that work yeah so i mean that that was the next logical step really i mean reporting from the coal face of the industry if you like is one thing but but actually getting chefs and, and restaurateurs and um, and people in the hospitality industry, getting them actually onto a fish market, getting them talking to, to fishermen um, and getting them to um, to appreciate some of these amazing species that we have firsthand um, is a revelation to them. Um, they're always a little bit reticent because, you know, getting to some of these places like Peterhead, for example, in Scotland, Aberdeenshire, um, or, or Newlin in, in Cornwall in the southwest is a is a bit of a schlep. You know, it costs money, but of course, when they get there, um, and we always, you know, we give them the full market tour, we get them aboard a vessel, um, we get them talking to the skipper, to the crew, um, and then we'll go and eat some of the seafood locally in a, in a little, sometimes just even a, a little cafe, um, just but just to appreciate, you know, exactly what can be done, because um, you know they, I think um, a lot of uh, a lot of chefs. You know, it's not their fault. They've been forced down this route of, of being, um, of having to take product which is already portioned. You know, it's, it comes very uh, at a regular size of consistency. It's, it's got to be, you know, for the economies of the job, it's got to be like that. And they've lost the knack um, of using the whole fish, mm. of taking the whole fish, of, gut, uh, of not, not cutting it, but of filleting it, staking it, um, breaking it down into, into different cuts, and then perhaps using the frame for stock and the head for something else. Um, and that sort of um, those skills, I think, have, have been lost. So it's, there's a lot of them who want to get back to that. And one way of doing it is, of course, getting them to the, as I say, the coal face of the industry, so they can they can be inspired. I think, uh, Matt, you know, that's the that's really the thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think you know, not everyone. I think we're quite similar in terms of growing up and being foodie. Obviously, you know, my mum and things. But we we were watching you know, Floyd on fish, Rick Stein, I suppose people listening to this these days will be Nathan Outlaw's probably the fish man these days that a lot more people know. Um, and, and, you know, I think obviously they've done, it goes without saying that they've done incredible things for, you know, the average person to actually see fish on TV, like you said, been brought in and, yeah. and, and made and, and cooked, you know, beautifully in, in, in front of the camera. But I suppose, you know, people listening to this that actually, they don't have decision fatigue around around eating it and and cooking it. They they do want to get stuck in, but then they're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, what what can I do to to then start making tracks in in this in this side of my you know purchasing and, and thinking about the environment and then trying to eat you know certain types of fish that aren't over farmed and you know it's 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 yeah. it's a mess in you know from our side. So it'd be cool yeah. to to maybe get you know five ten minutes on that and maybe just start to walk. The listeners through a bit of a journey about what they can do so they can kind of go away and, and start you know doing a few things to themselves and, and feeling better and ultimately you know eating eating really well 
yeah, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day. You know, I mean, seafood is, I always say, is a superfood. You know, it's and you know, you know, it's yourself. It's a nutritionist exactly what that can bring to uh, to, to to somebody's diet and um, and the and the health benefits. I mean, are incredible. You know, it's just um, especially when you, know, you look at things like oily fish and shellfish, which are very very high in omega omega threes and, um, mm. and those essential essential vitamins and building blocks. But yeah, I think. For, for, for people who want to um, to try and disseminate some of the information and and look at seafood, I think the main thing is to to focus on on well, obviously sustainability. You know, that's a, that's an oft-used word and it's it's quite a broad term. But I think if you're going to um, to look at seafood uh, holistically, then MSC is a good place to start. The Marine Stewardship Council, you know, the little blue tick. Uh, which means that that fishery has been accredited. Um, so wherever you see that tick, um, you know, we have some MS, great MSC fisheries in the UK now, um, North Sea haddock, mackerel, um, chroma crabs even, you know, these fisheries which have been done, they've done the work, they've, they've, it's taken something like five to six years to go through the motions um, to, to make sure that that fishery has, has been scrutinised uh, for its sustainability. So that's a good start. Um, you mentioned the the, uh, the Good Fish Guide from the Marine Conservation Society uh, and their sort of traffic light system on, on fish that are perhaps vulnerable to overfishing. You know, there's a scoring system there which they use for um, for different species. Uh, that's a great place to go to. Um, but there's a, there's a proviso to that, there's a writer to that, which I always tell people about. The, the Good Fish Guide, um, unfortunately, for me, um, is a bit too broad brush and there are certain species on there which I call although they might they might be flagged up by the good fish guide as being one to watch or one to avoid um, sometimes those particular species can be very what I call regionally sustainable um, a good example is skates and rays which are, are all lumped into the same bracket for the good fish guide um, and yes, some of the ray species, cuckoo ray, starry ray, undulate ray, are, are, are you know they're almost worthy of protection because their numbers are, are dwindling and they they're late maturing species, so it takes them a long long while to um, to recover their populations. But on the flip side of that, here in East Anglia, we have the thornback ray, which is so abundant, our fishermen literally have to try and avoid catching it, you know, to get. The other species, the Dover soles, the bass, the, the cod that they want, they can't avoid catching it. They have to perhaps go 10 or 15 miles in the other direction just to get away from the <laughs> from the skate, as we call it. Um, but of course, because it's lumped in with that uh, skates and rays general bracket, people are you know are, are reticent to try and eat it uh, or to try and buy it at the fishmongers. But that's where the regional sustainability comes in. You know, if you can if you can pin it down, if you can crystallise it down to the thornback ray rather than just rays and skates uh, in their entirety, um, then there's a massive opportunity there to to get some very affordable, very sustainable um, product, which which will help the the local fishermen enormously. Mm. Um, and that's why I wanted to get you on, mate, because I think it's teasing out that, that you know there's nuance in, in some of this. Once we get deeper than the big five, like you're talking about, and people have had a bit of a read, you know, they might have seen the blue tick on some some tin fish that, that they'll use on the go, or they might try experimenting a little bit of making a, you know a fish supper a few times a week. Yes. And then you do have these you know these these large organisations putting out these websites and apps and things. But yeah, like you said, it is great, but but the good thing is 
because you know you have to then go a little bit deeper and I think that you know even that term regional sustainability is something that it will be new to a lot of people listening so I think that's that's a brilliant yes. bit of information there it's, it's something I've coined myself really because I just there was a there was a need to identify different species around the UK which perhaps you know only actually appear for a few weeks of the year um, in, in regional fisheries but are an important what we call catch opportunity for our fishermen there and that's sometimes sustainability is not always about the fish stocks Matt it's about the actual communities the fish in them themselves the um, the livelihoods the the locality um, and making sure that is sustainable as well because and the heritage you know for our, our small fishing communities which many of these little coastal towns were, were founded on um, over generations you know once they're once those fishermen are gone for whatever reason uh, they're gone for good mm. and that heritage and knowledge and professionalism um, and craft if you like um, goes with them uh, never to be seen again and that's that's very important to me um, that we we, we recognise that and that we support our own um, more artisanal fishermen if you like um, and make sure those communities are sustained. Mm. I think if we take that point and run with it for a second, the the lockdown period has obviously been you know tough for uh, probably everyone listening in in some way. But it's it's been interesting from the fish and seafood side of things. And obviously before we started yeah. recording, you were talking about being extremely busy, which is good. You know, probably brings more liters of tea. But but you're cracking on, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear you know how that's been going for some of the small communities that you have been involved with because um i assume that you know people have tried to to eat uh locally and and there's you know there, has there been a bit of a an uprising in, in 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 some of these places and 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 some of these small businesses and fishermen and things like that how's it been going over the last few months so so since lockdown obviously my consultancy and writing work sort of fell off a cliff so talking to our local fishermen here in suffolk you know they the, the local market at Lowestoft had been closed, they'd followed their staff, and, and suddenly, um, on the 1st of April, when we were allowed to start catching bass again, um, suddenly the fishermen said, well, we've got no route to market, how we go? We've got, a, got this catch opportunity for a couple of months, which we need to, uh, you know, it's a, it's a large part of our, our annual income. Um, how do we get that to the, to the consumer? So, using my contacts in London, um, I started selling it on their behalf to independent fishmongers. Um, and in the space of, of a few weeks, that had extended to lobsters, native lobsters, and other other species that they were they were catching. Um, and suddenly, we saw uh, fishmongers who were crying out for stock, um, being able to utilise these products in a way they hadn't perhaps before. Um, they were getting fish uh, from straight from the boat, direct. So I buy direct off the boats, um, straight into their shop. Sometimes within twenty four hours of landing. Um, and of course, they've not had access to fish of that quality before, and neither had their customers. So <laughs> we now we started to see um, through many, many outlets, um, you know, queues and queues of people, um, obviously socially distanced, waiting um, sometimes for up to an hour, or an hour and a half. I mean, I've delivered into some shops at half past six, seven o'clock in the morning, and there were people there waiting and not waiting for the shop to open, but waiting for me. Have you got any bass today? You know, where's the bass come from? We had it last week. It was amazing. You know, can we get it again? Mm. And this was really heartening for me and heartening for the fishermen. So I was like, I feed all this back to them. Yeah. Um, hey, that's cracking. The same thing happening now. Yeah, that's it's, cracking. It's not and I think the, um, you know, that, that, I think we can embody that, you know, what you've just said there, that, that net to plate movement. It's absolutely brilliant. And, um, 
you know, obviously I've got I've got listeners. I'm I'm based in London at the moment, grew up in Suffolk, so we we'll have a lot of listeners from from both places. So um, you know, can can you name some of the places that you do deliver to that are selling some of this of fish? No, is I mean, that we, is that possible? We're, we're delivering all over Greater London now. I think there's about um, twelve or fourteen fishmongers on the books. Um, but just taking one or two of the of the guys who really helped me, um, who probably deserve a shout out because they've been been great in their support. Um, Ellison Jones in um, in Greenwich. Uh, Royal Hill, uh, fantastic fish shop there. Uh, Rex Goldsmith, the Chelsea fishmonger. John Norris, um, Hackney and Pimlico. Um, the Sea, the Sea, um, another wonderful artisan, uh, chef-led fishmonger um, in Chelsea. Um, and where else have we got? Um, prawn- now, so this is another interesting thing. One or two of the, the, the restaurants in London um, the seafood restaurants, uh, having had you know been forced to shut down because of the circumstances, then reinvented themselves um, as a as um, a wet fishmonger. Yeah. So you've got prawn on the lawn, for example, in Islington. Um, you know, who've also got a, a venue down in, in Padstow in Cornwall. Um, you know, they they obviously couldn't serve their their seafood in their in their traditional way. So, over I was a fishmonger, and we've been supplying them with some fantastic products. So, it's. It's a new model, Matt. Mm. You know, um, of course, those those uh, chef-led um, restaurants, if you know, chef-led fishmongers are now are going back to their, you know, to a degree of service, mm. uh, which is great. Um, but it remains to be seen how if they continue to uh, to do their fishmongering bit. That's brilliant. Yeah, connecting with so many people. That's such a good story. You're getting out of the car, car you know, carrying all the produce, and there's already kind of customers and things in your ear asking about types of fish and you know i think that is brilliant because you know a lot of people now are going to start questioning where where their food's coming from because we had that scare you know the average person just going around eating getting whatever they want on the go and then obviously when when things weren't on the shelves we were a bit like wait a sec i'm gonna have to go down to my local place now get you know build a rapport with them and go from there And, and, and like you said from a from a sustenance point of view, from a health point of view, you know, it goes without saying fish, seafood, protein. I know some things have changed, like, uh, you know, oysters are seen as fancy when maybe years ago they're the kind of poor man's protein snack. But there's so many different types that you don't, you know, you don't have to get stuck in thinking, oh, I don't like any of this. I think it's just including something, isn't it, on on maybe a, a monthly basis or a biweekly basis, giving something a go and getting used to trying to cook it. Um, or even just eat, you know, eat, eat, eat fish or seafood that's ready, you know, that's a little bit smoked or anything like that. I think it's just trying to yeah. include it and, and getting used to the flavours and, and making it a bit more of a habit. I think that's right. I mean, it's, you know, and, and it's, it's all very well um, being able to access fresh fish and shellfish in the way that, that I'm selling at the moment. But actually, not everybody's got a fishmonger anymore, you know, near to them. Um, it's unfortunately the, the high street is a, is a, is a, is a sorry state really compared to what it used to be you know when when i was growing up certainly you know when you had all these wonderful independent retailers so what i'm saying is it's fine to eat tin fish mm. you know, and it's fine to eat frozen fish um but it's you know it's, it's it's about just experimenting and i think i think having had so much consumer choice over recent years um in a bizarre way this this crisis that we're being faced with has, has sort of crystallized those choices down you know, and it's made people look um, more at the the raw ingredients, I suppose, um, rather than the you know our food on the go and you know um, ready meals and, and things like that. 
they've actually had to sit, sit down and think, well, we've got raw chicken available, we've got fish and shellfish available. How are we going to go about actually, you know, um, replicating some of the the meals that we've perhaps enjoyed when we've eaten out or that we've bought um, at the supermarket? So I think that's been a really good process for a lot of people. Brilliant. No, definitely. And, 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 you know, you've named some crackers there in London. I'll put all that in the show notes for people that, you know, like you said, live in that greater London area and they can and they can delve in. And, mate, for people in, in Suffolk listening as well, um, and obviously people that visit the Suffolk coast and stuff like that over the next few months, hopefully, if the the weather if the weather actually picks itself up, you know, what what are some yeah. of the things you're you're you're, in, you're enjoying? Um, who are some of the communities and things you're working with? You know, what what's some of the fish and seafood that you're eating out of that area? It'd be brilliant to hear a bit about that as well. Sure. Well, I mean, my my home port, if you like, is Felixstowe Ferry down on the on the the, the mouth of the River Deben, uh, which flows down from Woodbridge. Um, and yeah, that's we've got. Actually, that's in terms of numbers of fishing boats. That's probably um, the busiest port on the Suffolk coast now. It used to be Lowestoft, obviously years ago. Um, Lowestoft was a very thriving herring port, and also for, for things like place. Um, but that's that's very much a shadow of its former self. So um, only a few little boats there. So Felixstowe Ferry is quite busy, and we we catch a lot of bass there, uh, lobsters, um, skate, obviously. Um, there's a very good fish shop down there, James Hunt Fisheries. Um, if, if anybody wants to go to Felixstowe Ferry, there's a um, fantastic range of, um, of not just um, not just Felixstowe fish, but, but other fish from around the country as well. I think that's one thing to mention, and I always say this to people, is that when we talk about eating locally, um, eating within, a, you know, within the radius of the port or the coastline is, is fantastic. But actually, I think we've got to appreciate that as, a, as an island nation, and with the logistics we have these days, actually anywhere in the UK is local. Yeah. You know, so do you know what? If you if you can't get, you know, the, the fish you want um, from your local fisherman um, because of weather or whatever or season, mm. you know, you can get it from Scotland or Wales or, or, or Cornwall or Devon. Do you know yeah, what I, mean? I agree. I'm, I'm listening uh, to this. Um... OK to do that. Yeah, you're so right. I'm listening to this audio book by the chap that swam around the, the UK absolute maniac um and and the the interesting yeah, thing true. yeah the interesting thing about about his his journey i know he kind of talks about resilience and things but he's obviously talking about you know where he's swimming starting up in 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 or you know moving up in and around scotland and all of these places and it did make me obviously reflect because you don't really do it very often thinking god yeah it's a you know brilliant island that we're on and there's so many places and like you said just because it, if it is from a different coastline and things like that it doesn't mean you're not you know, you're not eating locally, and, and I think that's something to continue to champion. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, that, and yeah, it gives people absolutely. more choice. Like you said, they can't always get to some of these places, and there's not always fishmongers around. And I think some of the supermarkets would be good to maybe get that opinion from you, but some of the supermarkets are doing better because they have to be seen to be doing better as well, aren't they? Because yeah, there's a lot to, of competition they now. They have to up their game as well. Yeah, yeah. So, have you seen that kind of change in the last, you know, let's just say five, ten years in terms of supermarket? Um, yeah, and, and, I mean, and fishmongers in the supermarkets. That's it's an interesting one because some of the supermarkets, I mean Tesco's for example, have, have shut um, a lot of their fish counters down. Um, so in, in many Tesco's um, stores now, you can actually only the only fish you can buy is either in the the chilled section or the frozen section. Mm. So um, yeah, it's a difficult one. They rely very heavily on price, obviously. So a lot of their their fish is imported. But on the, on the flip side of that, Matt, you know, I was down in Newlyn. In Cornwall last year, and um, 
watching one of my my mates down there land some spider crab um, to the uh, to the key. And uh, I said to him, I, I suppose these are all going to, you know, going to be exported and they'll go off to France and Spain. And he said, no, actually, these ones are destined for Morrison's. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, really? You know, so my ears pricked up. And he said, yeah, we're, we're, Morrison's want to do a, um, a sort of local seasonal um, produce um, uh, initiative across uh, the local the Cornish stores. And um, these spider crabs are destined for them. So I, I hot foot up to uh, Penzance Morrison's. Um, to to you know inquire and lo and behold, cooked spider crab sitting on their counter along with local Newlyn Pollock and and ray wings and I thought that's what we you know that's that's the, the way to get to the masses of consumers you know you don't, you don't everything doesn't have to be imported even if you just have a, a little section where you can you can tap into regional fish markets um, and offer just a snapshot of what's available at any one time of the year. So I was really pleased by that. Definitely, definitely. And like you said, it's, it's important to bring a lot of these messages across, <clears throat> sorry, um, to people with, you know, stories. So that, you know, that, that little story at the end there is fantastic because like you said, you were down there doing something and then you heard the supermarkets were receiving it and, you know, you, know, you went up and you could see it and, and it's brilliant and more, more people have access to it, which is, you know, which is what it's all about. So, mate, you know, look, fantastic for getting you on and, and I know it's a busy period for you as well and I think it's just a, a, lot, a lot of the stuff we've gone through I think will be really valuable for people to, to listen to and then hopefully they can, you know, they can engage with you moving forward. So what's, you know, what's the best thing for... For people to stay in touch, obviously you, you've got you've got your blog. Um, I, I know obviously around Suffolk area as well. You you know you you have been delivering and and you've been seeing people and, and stuff like that. But what's the best way for for people to engage in what you're doing? So I mean, follow me on social media. I mean, I'm active on on Twitter and um, and Instagram. A passion for seafood at a passion for seafood. Um, and and really, I, I I don't mind anybody who's got any questions. You know, please please ask. I really don't mind, and um, I'm more than happy to uh, to field any uh, any questions or inquiries people have, or um, if they want, you know, little subjects unravelled or, or whatever, then that's that's fine. Just just message me and um, or contact me via my uh, my by my blog. Um, the passion for seafood, the blog. Um, you can subscribe to that, um, sign up for that, and usually. <laughs> Um, usually you get a, a newsletter pop out or a, an article or a feature now and again. Um, but that's uh, my writing has been curtailed a little bit of late because I'm delivering and buying and selling so much fish. So um, I've been a bit slack on that. But I am also writing for another online um, magazine led by um, food writers and chefs who have been furloughed. And that's called The Cream. We are the cream.co.uk. Um, and I have on that a, a regular, well, regular uh, a weekly column which has just been going for the last two or three weeks uh, where we look at, at fish and shellfish british seafood around the uk and, and focus on a different species each week so you know that's a great one to look at as well awesome look lovely people you know these are important conversations if you haven't been fish focused before i'm sure after listening to this you will be so um you know i'm going to go and subscribe to the newsletter and definitely check out the cream as well so mate brilliant resources and i think um yeah, like, like, like you said, lovely people, Mike's really easy to get in touch with. I dropped him a line on Instagram and then, you know, he called me in his car racing back from London about half an hour later. So, um, yeah, re- you know, really engaging, very knowledgeable, but, you know, also very, as you can probably hear, very, very humble and, and just wanting to get messages across, you know, that I'm sure they won't ever.
ever be a silly question. Um, so if, if you do have any, then just just chuck them his way. So, you know, thanks very much for listening and engaging. If you like the show, please share it with someone and have a fantastic week.